Hi, I'm Scott Martin from Bonza Matsu, and this is the Bonza Stuff Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is going to be on a, a few issues which are really relevant to any of any of us listening to this podcast. Tree uh, tree lovers in pots that um, that we need to deal with continually throughout uh, throughout the year. So these are issues of watering is the first thing I'm going to cover off on and. More importantly, the um, this seg- this podcast, this part of the uh, the podcast is going to be dedicated to overwatering. It's like um, it's like Goldilocks. It's too hot. It's too cold. Just right. Well, with us, it's too much water, too little water, or just right. So, I want to focus on the part where there's too much watering in this podcast, rather than um, sending everyone to sleep, and uh, and just how we can handle it. It's it's a common thing to deal with in summer. May not. Feel like it is, but often people, including myself, err on the side of caution when it comes to watering your bonsai, and there's a there's a, a real downside to it. So it's something that uh, that I want to talk about. Hand in hand with that, there's um, there's other issues that come around this time of the year too. I'm in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, we're in a, uh, a a humid area at the moment. It's uh, we do get the hot, dry days, but there are definitely patches of humidity, and with that comes fungal issues. So I want to chat about that as well. So um, I'll start with those and then to wake everyone up at the end of the podcast, I'll go back into uh, another trip I made to Japan in Aichien. seems to be lots of positive feedback with the learnings and stuff like that. And I must admit from my point of view, it's it's nice uh, nice reading through the uh, the notes from so long ago again. So without, uh, without any further ado, let's uh, get into it. One of the most important facets of keeping bonsai, as far as I'm concerned, is having a solid, absolute solid, rock solid understanding of transpiration, which is the uh, the flow of water through our trees, through our bonsai, from their roots up along the trunk and along the branches, getting to the foliage, leaf, needle, whatever it is, and then evaporating out. And the uh, the vast majority of water that, that flows through the, the plant through through our bonsai is lost through evaporation. So there's this during during these periods of transpiration there is um there's a lot of water flowing through there and it's really important for us to get watering right. And if you'll remember from um from the last couple of podcasts where I talked about uh one of the biggest tips that I was given when I was in Osaka by Mr. Fujikawa was was watering. And it sounds so simple and sounds so easy, but it's not. It's really, really tough. And I've just been out walking around my plants. Got nice warm weather here, right smack at the um, the last bit of our our summer period, and we're getting a, a nice burst of some some warm weather flowing down, which is great. Really nice. Nice to have some sunshine, and uh, and have shorts on and and thongs walking around out in the uh, in the garden, which is lovely. But there's um. There's a there's a downside to that when it comes to your bonsai and and with so many in the garden they can't be moved and if I rely on using an automated watering system it's a one size fits all type scenario then there's definitely an impact on that and I've just been walking around the garden now had a walk around had a look and was checking moisture levels in different different trees and it's they're all they're all talking cheese almost tree to tree one's bone dry on the bench the one next to it is is sopping wet the one beside that is just right and it's 
it's really tough to get that uh, general one-size-fits-all watering system to work accurately. And I, I, I tend not to rely solely on these automated systems or sprinkler systems of any kind because they, they do this. They, they overwater or they underwater and you can try as hard as you want, but the tree that's possibly bone dry today, you know, you, you up the watering level on that, put a few more drippers on it, compensate for it, then, you know, maybe in a week's time it's it's being overwatered again because the tree's not transpiring to the rate that it was. And that's what's really super important to be able to walk around and front your trees and, and look at them and assess them every single day, once, twice, as, as many times as you can especially during these periods of, 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 of heat. You know, when we get some, some strong winds that come from the north for us, that, uh, that generally tends to be a dry wind and it tends to evaporate the water that's available for transpiration to the tr- for the tree to take up to go through the transpiration post- process to, to not be available anymore. So not only have I got a tree which is possibly taking up more water today than what it was yesterday, but... There's now less water available because of evaporation, because of environmental factors. So putting that all together, I wanted to um, wanted to focus in this uh, episode of the podcast about overwatering because it's a really common thing to see where you you err on the side of caution and you put more water than what's needed for the tree to take up for the bonsai to take up, and then there's a downside to it. Um, I definitely err on the side of caution. I definitely allow for for more water to be to be pumped through the the, the bonsai than what I I normally would. And I get uh, contact from a lot of customers reaching out saying, "Geez, I don't know what's going wrong with this tree. I'm watering it like crazy. I've I've used the moisture meter. It's showing it's it's right, but I I just don't know." And when you have a look at it, you know, one of the one of the symptoms or one of the 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 telltales for overwatering is going to be that it's uh, starting to yellow the leaves. Uh, foliage is starting to droop, so it's starting to look a bit faded in in the the greenery. starts to starts to dull down a little bit as well, and the leaf may start to fall off the tree, which we'll start to see in lower, weaker areas of the of the bonsai predominantly. But you will see definitely leaves falling off. That's a that's a real telltale to me that. There's um there's a case of overwatering starting to starting to happen on that that bonzo. It it basically boils down to the soil being too wet and the bonsai cannot take up any more than what it possibly is at the moment. So it's for want of a better word, and without being dramatic, it's starting to starting to drown. And it's it's starting to show the slowly show you that there's something starting to happen with it. And then it's it can be it can be corrected when it hasn't got too bad, and that's that's the real positive out of this. And it's something that I suppose what I want to talk about is because as I walk through my trees, I'd have a look at a few of my maples, and I'd go, yeah, that one's definitely got too much water. There's uh, leaves starting to yellow. There's a few that have fallen off. It's not normal this time of year for that sort of thing to be happening, and it's something that I need to correct. So I want to run through some of the um, the core correctional activities that I use when it comes to a tree that's been overwatering. First thing I do, very first thing, is I put a note on it that it's got to get repotted ASAP. So as soon as I get to my repotting season, that's one of the trees. It's a it's a must. If it's if it's starting to sog, get soggy and and be clogged up, there's something wrong in the soil area in the in the pot of the bonsai, and I need to correct it. So 
regardless of what I do temporarily to fix it, it's only a short-term fix and I need to focus on the longer-term correctional activity, which is going to be primarily for me repotting. All right, so given that there's too much water sitting in the pot, like a think of it like a pond, you can aerate. So if you take a, a, a screwdriver and or a, a chopstick, something like that, and you put it into the pot and, a, you know, spaces of, you know, a couple of centimetres, an inch, whatever it is, you put that in and wiggle it a little bit and create a little bit of a hole. It allows for air transfer, air, air to get into that part of the root ball and you repeat that right over the, the whole pot without, I mean, you don't want to make a million holes in your pot, but generally you can you can make, you know, 15, 20 holes on a, on a medium-sized 30-centimetre pot, something like that, and that will help that water to evaporate rather than being contained in the pot. If there's heavy moss coverage on top and that's or, or, or sphagnum moss something like that you can scrape that off scrape it back and let that air get in there and allow things to to evaporate this is only if it is being being overwatered um the second the third thing i would do would be to check for check the drainage holes on the on the pot to make sure that that they're not blocked you know there may be some kind of matter around the base there or roots could be coming out of it and it could have blocked up so it's actually every time you water you're just filling back up the pond again and and uh, and soaking it down so I'd, I'd check the the drainage holes on the on the on the pot i'd move the tree to a more open position because i think airflow i know airflow is really good for them to help with that evaporation side of things so normally for me my experience is that trees that are more sheltered trees that are in positions of protection a lot more they're the ones that i generally tend to see overwatering as a real issue as opposed to my trees that are in a more open area where they're getting a lot of sun a lot of a lot of airflow around them that water's evaporating out the tree's taking what it needs but there's nothing left around sitting soaking on the on the in the in the pot and doing this damage to the to the tree it's staying too wet so then i would change my watering habits for that tree i would definitely get away from any automated system i was using and i would make it that it's one that i manually water and because the tree has been uh, affected i would cut my watering scale back i would nowhere i would not give it anywhere near as much water and i'd be waiting for that soil to start to really look like it's drying out or feel like it's drying out or test it with a moisture meter and see that it's starting to dry out before i rewatered that bonsai i wouldn't just automatically put it into the system of it's nine o'clock i've got to get out there and water water everything as much as i possibly can because that's what got me into this this problem next i'd um i'd i'd make sure that i removed any of the damaged leaves anything that's falling down get them off the bench so they're not not clogging up the soil surface but also any that are in the tree itself in the bonsai i would i would look to remove those it you know if they're if they feel like they're going to fall off when you give them a little tug, just take them off and get rid of them and be done with it. There's no point hanging on to, to that side of things. And also, I you know, you accept that this can take a while to repair. It could be maybe a week or two weeks before this tree's system. The engine starts rolling as it should and starts taking up water as you'd you'd expect it to, and then you can sort of start to move it back into the normal side of things. So it takes a little while for overwatering to show its ugly head but it takes a, a little while too for it to disappear and stop being uh, being an issue for us so like i said don't uh, don't feel bad if you you look at your trees and have a walk around after listening to this podcast and go yeah jesus you know they are yellowing oh, my needles are starting to yellow on my my pines you know yep okay well that's that's overwatering 
What can I do about it? Some simple things. So just follow through, aerate, change position, adjust your watering habits, check um, check that the, the drainage holes aren't blocked and, and, and change things. So that's, um, that's enough for that part of the, the podcast. And next week we're going to talk about underwatering, which is equally just as bad, but I think that overwatering maybe gets skimmed over in summer because it's like, oh, well, I'd rather err on the side of caution. And I know my advice is to people, if you don't know if you're underwatering, you're better off overwatering. But there's definitely there's definitely a downside to it. And it's like with everything with bonsai, there's, there's always a cost to these things. If you don't do it to perfection, then there's a, there's a downside. So overwatering, we're all going to feel it. There's definitely stuff we can do about it. comes the uh, the segment of the podcast which uh, hopefully doesn't make you fast forward or doesn't make you turn it off or fall asleep or maybe it does uh, fungal issues on bonsai uh, it's it's really common for me at the moment to be seeing things late in summer where I see a lot of fungal issues appearing on foliage on deciduous trees oak definitely the, the I, I believe honestly are one of the um, the first to show any any issues seen quite a few lately and it's just one of those things that I suppose I wanted to um, want to cover off on on the, on the podcast to say it's not the end of the world uh, getting powdery mildew on your on your leaves, but it's a it's a sign that things could be improved if you break down and look at powdery mildew and say oh well it's not going to do too much damage yeah probably probably won't do any damage but everything that is negative to your bonsai comes at a cost so. If it's weakening your tree by one, two, three, four, whatever, however, however much percent, then should you improve it? Should you fix it? Yeah, you definitely should because all those things, you know, I've talked before about the one percenters and it's the little things that, that eventually make great bonsai and make, make brilliant bonsai and make us all so happy. And it's little things like powdering mildew starting to appear and 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 making sure that you, you identify it quick enough and then you treat it and then you correct why it's happening in the first place as to be fundamental for the strong development of your bonsai you know you don't want to have powdery mildew now next thing you know suddenly spring gets here and you don't get as much growth as what you expect you start chasing your tail going round around circles and it's like well why did that happen why didn't I get what I expected last year I had a lot this year I had none well it could be that the powdery mildew that's come along Fungal issue may have may have had an impact that that possibly has um, has set the tree back a little bit. You know, it'll still advance, it'll still take a step forward, but maybe not at the same rate as what you were hoping or you were expecting. And and that's 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 honest to honest to goodness what um, what I believe about these fungal issues, especially when you know you you can do your your research on them and see yeah it's no long term damage. You know, you might find that um, people can be allergic to it, so be careful, don't touch it, whatever. That, that's fine, but my approach to any of these things is if there's a way that I can treat and correct why it's happened, then I'll definitely 100% do it as quickly as I possibly can. I won't uh, I won't let it sit there and fester and go, oh, well, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just the way these things are because it's it's not. It's, it shouldn't be anyway. Um, so the main thing how I would look after uh, something something simple like a powdery mildew, so whitening whitening powder on on the the leaves, is um, you'd be spraying with a with a fungicide, 
sorry to everyone who doesn't believe in those things, there are natural alternatives, which I'm sure you can, can look up and I'll, I'll hear about. But for me, I treat them with a, with a fungicide. And second thing is, and the most, this is the most important part about it, is I look to correct it and it's, it's 99.9% of the time environmentally caused where it could be the position of the tree. You know, we just talked about overwatering and, you know, that obviously leads to a, a humid environment, which is really common for those that are a bit cautious during summer with their watering, you know, overwatering, humid environment, perfect situation where a tree is protected and possibly doesn't get as much airflow and circulation around it as as what it probably should. And it creates, an, uh, you know, breeding ground for these these fungal issues to just hit land and just take off. So if you've got, you know, I've found with my personal case, when I get powdery mildew, you know, if I jump up and have a look over the neighbor's fence, there'll be a, a veggie garden on the other side that's got something in it that's absolutely covered head to toe. So um, I'm in a position where I want to hiding to nothing because there's there's these these fungal spores floating around heavily in my area, and I, I I rather than getting upset about it, I just make myself more aware of it. So when I am I am looking at trees that are more prone to these things, like I said, my oaks. I'll put them in a position where they're as far away from that area as possible and also where they can get as much airflow as possible. So the most open part of my yard, I'll put them into that environment because by now, late summer, leaves have hardened off, everything's hunky-dory. You shouldn't be getting too much new growth just yet. So it's, it's you know, as these leaves get older, the fungal spores come in and, and do, their, do their thing. So if you put it in a nice open environment, Keep an eye on it. Put it down so the trees, you know, well and truly foliage is at, at eye level. So as you walk past, you can have a quick look at this thing and, and identify it straight away as soon as it gets there. As soon as you see it, treat it and, you know, just uh, just keep an eye on it. It would be nice if you do know your neighbours, if you can say, hey, listen, pull that thing out and put it in the bin, get rid of it. But um, but that, that's often not going um, to be the case. But like I said, it's not – I don't think that – some of the fungal issues are a real problem, but for me, something like a, a mild one, like like this powdery mildew, and this is the part where you're probably going to fall asleep about now, but with powdery mildew, I see it as the doors now open for other fungal issues to come in there. And if something more serious and sinister lands and comes into the tree's environment, to my bonsai's environment, that may not present itself as quickly or as easily as what powdery mildew does, then I've got real problems coming up somewhere down the track. So this 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 canary in the cage, the the, the powdery mildew is for me. It's a real a real eye opener, awakening step for me to go. Listen, you know, it's up. There's it's around. This is the time you've got to take care. You're in an environment where these things are going to start spreading quite fast. Get on the front foot. All right. What do you do? Look at the environment. Have you cleared away all the all the leaf litter from around the benches? Have the trees been given a nice cutback and been opened up to allow more airflow in there? Are they in an environment where they're getting good circulation or is there surrounding shrubbery or trees or anything like that that's maybe maybe grown over the summer period and, and is having an, or the spring period and having an impact now on on that environment where those particular bonsai are spending their days? And you know, I just do the general housekeeping that I can do, and then I get onto um, onto fungicides, and and I I treat them as I deem fit, which is what all of us have to do. You can, like I said, get onto the the natural stuff, but 
my advice is do something. Don't just leave it and don't uh, don't don't brush it away, saying it's it's nothing because it's it's not. It's something that that we uh, that we need to to fix it. that over and done with I feel like I've just finished the kids mass homework and now it's bedtime and it's time to get on to story reading which is far more enjoyable anyway so I to recap I'd been to uh, Aichin in 2012 for my first trip to Japan which was which was really good really um really started me on a, a lifelong path and then next year as a result of a change in um apprentice Leading the way at ITN, it uh, it was not possible in 2013. So then I went to Osaka and studied at Kokin, which was really really good. Then, as luck would have it, I um, was back in touch with ITN in 2014, and at that point there was a changeover and the fella Juan Andreas, who um, I'd originally spent time with in 2012 at ITN, was back as the uh, as the apprentice, head apprentice at ITN. So I was very fortunate enough to have direct contact with him and could arrange to head back there again and recommence my my studies, my training, my learnings, which was awesome. It was such a um, such good feeling. I remember when I first got in contact and he said, yep, we'd love to have you. That'd be great. Come on back. When do you want to come? So I um I broke it down and went there to um to do primarily uh, pine decandling to really nut that down, and so I was in there in um in June in uh, in 2014 back to ITM, which was really nice. So meeting the guys at the airport, getting picked up, it was like yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> this is great. This is exactly what I want, and I just every time. I found myself heading back there. It was just like, yeah, it's just another confirmation of exactly what what your passion is and what you want to do. And I went there as as humble as I ever could be, and and went there as that sponge that I've talked about, and just had a big list of things that I wanted to talk about and cover off on and and get my head around. And I've come home, you know, read my notes just recently to get ready for this podcast and. It was like you know every every question was answered plus some more and there was the experiences in between and all the joy and and different food and culture and God bonsai everywhere it was great my first note is that when I got there I dropped my bag as soon as I got in the gate and ran around the ran around the nursery thinking oh yeah I, I, I hope the trees are still here the ones bloody that I saw first time I came and yeah sure there are there are definitely legacy trees that are floating around but one thing I'd noticed from in the couple of years that I was there, there was a massive change in the size of the stock that was coming in. The, the trees had got really, really big and I think that they were primarily purchased for uh, work to to sell to to customers that, that deliberately wanted big bonsai, you know, big names and um, big bank balances, that sort of thing, and they wanted to have their, um, their bonsai enormous. And that was that was really something that blew me away about that trip. Seeing it was, um, yeah, there's lots of lots of trees. It felt like the nursery had swollen with um, with trees. The benches were definitely all full, far more full than what I'd I thought. Obviously, first time I went there, it was winter. This time when I went there, it was summer, and they've had the spring growth. So everything everything does look more 
more crowded over over that period after the spring growth. But it just felt like there was not twice as many pots on the benches, but it was it was pretty close. And the the size of the trees that were sitting around waiting to be worked on or had been worked on that were that were ready to go were um were a lot bigger than what I'd than what I'd expected. So I went through and did all the um all the usual stuff with dick handling, which is which is awesome. Talked about you know primarily the way it's done over there. Obviously, it's it's you know different for different places around the world. We talked about number of needle pairs to keep and you know why it's different and even different nurseries over there. You know, Dai Juen does a different needle count when they're decandling to what ITN does, and that's just the way that they do things. And it's another one of those those confirmations that you know bonsai is about a path and about consistency and and repeatability and making sure that you when you do something you you know what's going to happen and you shouldn't simply blindly follow a you know a path without expecting something at the other end to to come out of it. So you know. Black pine decandling is one of those things that I'm sure a lot of people know about by now, and and should have your your heads wrapped around. If you don't, you know, shoot me shoot me a message on the socials, and I'll I'll chat your ear off. I'll I'll send you back to sleep talking about decandling because it's uh, it's something which is essential to what I what I do. But anyway, I learnt about a thing called um, shotgun decandling, which um, which sounds really cool. <laughs> it's um it's more more used for uh, for weaker black pines where you'll um you'll get to the the weaker areas on a on a tree or particularly if it's a completely weak uh, black pine you'll uh, you'll not decandle it this summer you'll uh, you'll let it grow let those let the, that elongation start to happen next spring comes around you don't break the candles you just leave them so they keep getting longer and stronger and then when it gets time to decandle the second year so you've skipped one year haven't touched it all through the growing period to get to that second year. Then you go back to the first year's base that's grown. So it'll be two years now. And you cut at the base. So you're decandling back a year prior to where you were. And the expectation is that it should promote back budding. It should. So it's not guaranteed. It's it's a it's a last ditch effort to try and force a, a, a pine to push buds further back on the branch as opposed to having that branch continue to get longer and longer and longer and eventually have to be be removed. So you want to make sure that you leave lots of needles because the um, the needles are where the pine's going to generate its strength and that's why the tip isn't broken in spring because you really want strength, the strength of the pine encourages the back budding. So there you go, shotgun, shotgun decandling was something that I picked up on on that trip. There was lots more about, which is really interesting. I think um, every trip that I had, a lot of talk was about flow and movement. Um, and this time when I went back to Chen, there was, there was a range of new apprentices there as well. Fell from England, fell from America, and it was really nice to get different perspectives on and, and chat about different different things. You know, it was really nice to talk cricket <laughs> with with a fellow from England and and just have a have a, a good old good old yarn about different things. But you know, it was important looking and studying styles and and directional flow and movement became a real core to everything about good bonsai structure and design and and that flowed through every every trip and I've got you know I could go I reckon I could go back through all of my all of my notebooks and look at the pictures when it comes to the the movement and flow side of things and I could 
pretty much put them all together and go, yep, it was the same consistent message from now now two different nurseries on three different trips from from a range of different people all talking about the same thing that, you know, you've got to have intent with your flow and your movement and, you know, make sure that you're you're very clear on what you want to achieve with your with your tree and that that all stems back obviously to the um stems back to the the horticultural side of things which I'm not going to delve into again but yeah there was um there was lots of different things that I got to do that trip with um with decanling which was great because you know it's one of those things from from where I'd finished my first trip till now I'd put a lot of hours in like a lot a lot of time perfecting things and and really honing my skills and and really putting my back into it to to get myself to this level where I could walk in and you know, nowhere near the level of the apprentices that were there. I'm not saying that, but I, I, I wanted to hold my own. I wanted to feel that I could sit in that workshop and I could take a, take a seat and a, and a podium and, and be given due time and respect for what I could do. And that was, that was, that's always a driver for what I do is to have myself at a, at the best level I possibly can. If there's something I can improve, then you know, just take my time, work on it slowly, get that muscle memory, make sure it's as good as I possibly can be, then look to speed things up. Never jump in and speed things up and try and make it as quick as possible until you've got the skill set to, to back yourself. And that's really what I'd worked on. And it was good because, um, you know, when I walked in, things sort of, things sort of escalated quicker than what I expected with quality trees I got to work on and you know there was there was styling work but there was you know there's rough trees that um that uh, had had hadn't been decandled for a couple of years that needed to get worked on had to have needle plucking had to have wire put on them and get shaped and then presented and I seemed to get through those a lot faster and you know the changes that were made at the, at the top level by Mr Tanaka they sure there's always changes always always improvement but it wasn't as drastic as what I'd thought it was going to be, and it was it was nice. And then the next quality of the tree that would come in would be a, a slightly better tree, and then the one after that would be even better. And and it just seemed to just seemed to snowball on that trip for me, where it was it was um, yeah, it was it was a it was a lot of fun, a lot a lot of fun. And it was the camaraderie in the workshop as well really really took off. And I remember I went out uh, one night with um, one and and John from England and. We went to a went to a bar and and sat down and and just laughed and it, it was it was it was awesome. It's it's some of those those friendships that we all make through bonsai that that stick around for forever. That you know you look back on and you just it's just a snapshot like a a photo in time, a memory that um that I I think of now and even even to this day you know it's 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 years later I still get a smile on my dial thinking about you know the laughs that we had and what we did and you know the bloody taxi home at god knows whenever hour and it was just just a lot of fun so you know these these trips really really mean a lot to me and then I took I took you know more advanced things about wiring techniques and and really trying to to take that next level um, with with everything that I did in my my um my learnings I suppose so it's not just go there and go yep I know wiring I've done that I've I've honed my skills it's whatever it's like okay what can I do better like how do you do how do you do that when you when you push that branch when you do this it it it, it moves like this and the wire stays like that whereas mine doesn't it's like oh okay well that's that's this it's like oh, hang on a minute let me write that down let me draw a picture let me take photos right I, so there's another there's another little piece to the puzzle for me that's in my my repertoire now that I can use every single day when I get in front of a get in front of a, a tree. So 
Also learned that, you know, bonsai in Australia is is relatively young compared to uh, Japan. And you know, so I went over there and I was asking about candle breaking, oh, spring candle breaking, you know, what, what do you guys do, whatever, and Mr. Tanaka's like, eh? What do you mean spring candle breaking? I said, no, when the candles start to elongate in spring, you know, do you how do you guys do it? What do you break? What is there a length? Is there a size? Is there a, you know, and he goes, no, we don't do it on these ones. And I said, why not? And he goes, because they're all mature trees and they're so refined that the candles that come out at springtime are all balanced across the entire tree. And it's like, ah, oh. okay, so spring candle breaking then is on unbalanced trees where you get stronger areas and you're trying to push resources from strong areas to the weaker ones. It was like light bulb, you know. Okay, so you, another reason why you don't just blindly follow an instruction that you've read or you've heard or you've been told, it's like why are you doing this stuff? All right, so you do it on trees that haven't been balanced yet. All right, so it's a technique. Yes, we can push, we can take from the strong and give to the weak through the Robin Hood, but we need to work out how we can better balance the tree so we don't need to use that technique at all. So spring candle breaking shouldn't be something that you just jump into. It's like, well, okay, if we have to do it, that tree's unbalanced. How do I make that tree balanced? How do I stop? And I know that myself, as I've got my trees, my pines to a a nice level, a really refined sort of level, I know that that's happening more and more now where there is less candle breaking. It's like, yeah, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And then I have a look and there might be one area or one branch or whatever it is. It's like, okay, well, that one still needs to be turned down. Are there, are there any that are suffering? All right, so if those ones need to be turned up, how do I do that? How do I how do I increase the strength? All right, when it comes to needle plucking, don't pluck back to whatever number of pair of needles it is I'm going to keep in the weaker branch, let's leave a few more in that area. All right, so is the branch above it shadowing it? Do I need to reposition that branch with a little bit of wire to give it more sunshine? So there's, there's, there's a massive thought process behind one simple little task of spring candle breaking that this trip opened my eyes up to and went, <laughs> this, it, it sounds crazy to hear, no, no, we don't do that here, to have this flow-on effect, this snowball rolling for me to change all these things, but it did, and that's that's why I, I think these um, these trips are, are, are bloody awesome. And, you know, reading notes that, that say to me, you know, today was a good day. When I go to a certain day and on my trip and go, today was a good day, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it was a good day because I got to work on a really old Japanese red pine and I got to do this, that and whatever with it. And, you know, there was a few minor tweaks and then I got the okay. And it was move on to the next one. I was like, yeah, that's they are definitely – they're, they're adventures. They're bonsai adventures that are that are brilliant. I also did a lot of stuff with um, talking about grafting and stuff like that, and 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 grafting isn't something that I do a lot of or or tend to think of as a um, like approach grafting. I'm talking about thread grafting. Yeah, no worries. I do that all the time on on certain species, but approach grafting is not one of the strong grafts that I tend to use. As, as my first go-to for, for adding branches to a to a trunk or or foliage to a to a branch it's um it's not my task but we did we did a, a hell of a lot of that which is which is really nice it's um it's something that you can sort of add to your repertoire and and work on and the, the big takeaway from that for me was that you know when you're doing grafting if you do one or two and they both fail well it's the exercise has failed if you do 30 or 40, and five or ten make it, you've done really well. It's been successful. So if you're going to graft, 
you know, time grafting, then um, you want to make sure that you're doing far more than than what you actually need, so you can uh, you can be successful with the task. So the last um, last couple of things I'll talk about in this podcast for this this particular trip, I think it'll it'll continue on because there's a lot a uh, lot lot that I got picked up that I think will be interesting little stories. But one of the um, it's one of the, one of the things that I I got my head around was it's um, when you're in an environment that's that's perfect, right? And I would consider ITN to be to be damn near perfect, absolutely perfect. It's really easy to um, to do the tasks and be successful because so I'm, I'm talking about decandling on, on pines now and needle plucking and, and all that sort of stuff because there's so much hard work being done, meticulous work to a, to a, to a really high quality before that point. So when you come in and you do one of these trips and you just do decandling, it's like, wow, well, you know, you can pat yourself on the back as much as you want, but you know, really all you've done is just close your scissors. You've done nothing more than that. Yeah, sure. I refined my skills and techniques and learnt the whole process and blah blah blah. But really, it was an eye-opening experience for me when I suddenly got taken to another garden off-site where they have a stock that's maybe in development or weaker stock that's been allowed to rest. And you know, I get a tree that um, I got a black pine that had been not touched for a very very long period of time because it had been super weak. And it it took me back that you know suddenly time time and bonsai. There's no way of of speeding things up. There's no way of of accelerating things to achieve an end purpose quickly. You know, you see it all the time on different different platforms or people asking questions. Oh, what's the fastest growing stock that I can get? Or what's how do you how do you quickly develop this? And it's like now with hindsight, I'm I'm sure I asked all those questions when when I was young bonsai as well, but. These days I look at it and think there is no way, there's no shortcut. There's, and anyone tells you that there is, well, they're, they're not right. They're definitely not right. There's, there's, there's the right way and there's, there's the wrong way. And these shortcuts or this fast tracking of things might seem like it's a right, the right thing at the start when you're first doing things, but it's, it's not the right way to do things longer term. And this trip sort of showed it to me when I walked into this yard and there was just stock sitting there. I looked at it and went, wow, how long has that been here for? Oh, this one's three years, that's five years, that's six years, that's two years, that one's still that one's just been put in here. They look and they go, well, that looks okay. It's like, no, 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 this is what's wrong with it. And this is what we need to improve. So so to help improve the, the trees, we put them into a different area and we treat them differently. They don't just get lumped into the routine maintenance of of the other bonsais that are in the nursery. They get treated differently. It's like, oh, okay, so how do you build the strength on the trees? All right, well, generally you let them grow. You don't worry about your ramification. You don't worry about structure of the tree. All you're doing is you're looking at the health of the tree and how you can improve it. And, you know, trees get stronger when they're allowed to do what trees do. You know, sometimes they, you know, get the pot gets put onto the, the surface of the soil and the roots are allowed to tap through the 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 drainage holes at the bottom and run away and that'll that'll boost the, the tree's strength and make it a lot stronger and that's um that was really eye-opening for me to see that that it's it's not something that you can just flick a switch and go well okay give it this magic tonic throw a few pellets of fertilizer on there and she'll be right keep going with what you're doing because 
it's not the case. You know, that's when our trees end up in the green bin when we do that that too fast, too aggressive approach to, to looking at them and growing them and we've got them on our timetable rather than looking at it from their point of view going, well, what's best for you? What will make you as a bonsai stronger and at, at your peak, at your absolute peak of where you should be and where you need to be for me to take you to the next level? And seeing this yard, you know, what might look like just trees chucked on the ground, when you start digging through and looking at it, it was another light bulb moment for me going, you know, really, I've got to change the way that I look after my trees. And when I do these assessments on them, it's okay, well, if, if I've got doubts, then just stop a minute. You know, because twelve months isn't that long. Losing losing twelve months of of my time is definitely better than losing the bonsai. You know, it doesn't cost you anything to be delayed when it comes to bonsai. It's not like there's a race to to get to the end point. If you don't have your bonsai to that level by that time, then you failed, or it costs you monetary value. It's there's no there's there's no cost in in doing things the right way. You know, there's a there's a cost in doing it the wrong way. Put it that way, because your your green bin will be full every second week. So that was um that was definitely one of the one of the things that I, I picked up then, and it's it's something like I said I I pass on now and I talk about it and I leave it to individuals to whether they still proceed with what they want to do with their trees. But my advice is if it's crook, if there's if there's something not right with the tree, if there's any doubt in your mind, then you've just got to hit the pause button for a minute and go well okay change tactic i'm not focusing on branch structure i'm not focusing on apex development i'm focusing purely now on on tree health on bonsai health how do i get this tree from this point to the strongest possible i can because i can guarantee you a strong tree will develop twice as fast as a weak tree so if you want your accelerated development rate for bonsais the, the golden bullet to take a tree to be the best it possibly can just make it as healthy as it possibly can because you'll have far many, far more options than what you will if you you keep flogging this thing into the ground. So anyway, and the final note for, for that day afterwards, which I thought was quite funny when I was reading it, was my notes about my dinner. My dinner was mackerel, rice, miso, vegetable with chicken bits, dot, 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 don't ask. So yeah, oh, <laughs> my note was it was delicious. I don't know what it was, but it was it was definitely part of the trip. Wraps up another podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around. Hope it um, wasn't too uh, too boring for you. I hope you take something out of it from a, a positive point of view. That these uh, these little triggers that we get, overwatering, fungal issues, they're they're all things that we can we can treat, and they're all things that we deal with. So you're not alone. It's it's every single one of us deals with these things over time. So don't uh, don't ever be told that oh this is unique to you you're doing the wrong thing because that, that's not the way it works we all um, we all cop it so we've all got to deal with it and there are definitely strategies that we can deal with it's nice talking about ITN for the for the my third trip to Japan because it's um it's a very fond fond memory for me and next uh, next podcast is going to have some information about going to work at a customer's house on different trees and that was a really good experience as well so I'll, I'll save that one for next time because of um I've rambled on long enough and don't want to uh keep you guys uh, and gals waiting so thanks for sticking around stay in touch via the socials i do honest to god i know i say it every time but i really do do appreciate it and they come through thick and fast hope i uh, hope everyone's enjoying their bonsai at the moment no matter where you are around the world because um it is a it is a lovely time every day i go out there i feel like i'm i'm blessed to have the uh, have the trees in front of me and and have them all developing quite nicely so um Make sure you uh, keep up your, your cutting, keep up your fertilising, watch your watering and um, make sure you keep an eye out for those, those 
stagnamic pests and fungus fungal issues that we um, we all tend to come across. And until next time, happy bonsai. <laughs>